today, Jesus, that's the story of the gospel, that you have washed our sins away, that your blood took what should have been our blood and somehow or another just turned it white. You died on the cross not so that we continue to be sinners, so that we could clean up our act. But you're the one that cleans it up, and you're the one we give praise, honor, and glory to. You have come to separate us from our sin. That's what the Scripture teaches. That's why you were given the name Jesus. It means he saves. Will you open our hearts today? Teach us something. Teach us, as the, as the worship has permeated our hearts and prepared our hearts, teach us something today so that we could be more like you, Jesus. And that will be enough, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you today, everybody. Good to have you here with us today. Just a quick announcements, if I could give this to you today. Um, on August 11th, you'll be seen in your program starting next week, uh, we will be doing baptisms and another picnic. I know, we're having a picnic today, and everybody here, we bought enough food for everybody here. If you brought nothing, your visitor, come on over to the Life Center. We're going to feed you. We got plenty. You have some fellowship and join with us. But on August 11th, Bill and Debbie can to have a piece of property on Lake Erie. And every year they open it up to us. And we're going to have a picnic there, and we're going to have baptisms there. If you know Jesus Christ and have not been baptized, and you want to get dunked in Lake Erie, it's kind of like the Jordan, everybody, you have to fill out one of these, and it has to be filled out a week in advance, a week before the 11th. So fill one of these out, grab one. They're in the back. Uh, in the, uh, uh, if you ask one of the ushers, they'll tell you where they're at. They're all over the place back there in the, in the foyer area and stuff like that. So we'd love to have you just come out. And one of the things that we do when we have baptisms is we make sure that there's a lot of us that are there. A lot of brothers and sisters in Christ. So that when somebody is dunked and comes out of the water, we all shout, almost like the Cleveland Browns had scored a touchdown, but we know that that's not very likely. All right? All right, today we're talking about memorized. Memorized and mesmerized. The human brain. You got that graphic for me, Todd? Pop that up there for me. The human brain. It is the largest and most complex organ in the human body. It has more than, I don't know if I could, you can even grasp a hold of this, 100 billion nerves that communicate in trillions of connections all throughout your body in something called synapses. Synapses. Uh, you know, the, the, it weighs three pounds, and for those of you who are overweight, just so you know, the brain is 60% fat. So next time somebody says you're a little overweight, say, I just got a big brain. It has the capacity. How many of you have ever saw Uncle Fester on Adam's Family? Put a light bulb in. The brain, when we are awake, has the ability to generate 25 watts of energy. Now, if that's an LED bulb, that could be pretty light. That could be pretty bright. The brain. You know, people, as you get a little bit older, some of you old folks, not me, they, they, you do crossword puzzles, keep that brain sharp. Sudoku, you know, I probably didn't pronounce that right, you know. My wife does jumbles, those jumble puzzles. You take the letters and the words, you put it all together. In your notes, I have there, if you knew, uh, there's a set of notes in your program. Take out your smartphone. Go to the Bible app. Go hit those little three lines there. Go to Lifehouse Church. Follow along with your notes there. What do you have memorized in your brain? Do you realize how many thousands and maybe millions of things that you have memorized? For example, how many of you will need a GPS to get home today? To where you live. If you do, eh. How many of you have your social security number memorized? 
My wife has mine memorized, but I don't know hers. I don't know why it is she has mine memorized. That's kind of a dangerous thing. If you are a machinist or you're a mechanic, you have so much information memorized, you probably don't even think about it. If you're a machinist, you can run a CNC lathe and you get a machine and you got all kinds of stuff that you know, and maybe you have to look at a blueprint, I understand that, but to program it, you've learned it. If you're a mechanic and somebody says, I, I need my spark plugs and the wires changed, I mean, you know exactly what to go and to do. If you're an engineer and you have many procedures that you've had to follow, a good portion of them you've committed to memory. There might be something with every job that might be a little bit different. Our brain is powerful. The mind is powerful. Don't forget, the greatest commandment includes the brain. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, brain, mind, and strength. It's in there for a reason. Let's look real quick at the power that the, 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 the Word of God has incorporated in our brain. I have it in your notes there, Psalm 119.11. David said, I have hidden your word. What do you think he meant by hidden? He had it known. He had it memorized. It was deep within him. I have hidden your word in my heart. How did it get to his heart? Had to come through the brain, through the mind, that I might not sin against you. The Word of God is powerful enough that it's in my mind, it's in my brain. It can help me. Now, if any of you have ever had to overcome temptation or sin, you have probably, I hope, you've used the Word of God. You put it to memory or you wrote it down somewhere. I would like to talk to you today a little bit about a message that was really inspired by VBS a couple weeks ago. The kids and their Bible buddies and the memory verses that they had and what they experienced, I'll share in just a little bit here today. But I want to talk today about God's power in my brain and God's power in your brain for every situation in your life. I'm going to give you five examples. I'm sure that you'll have a few more and need a few more. Let's just take a look. Number one in your notes. God's power in my brain for confidence. Now, what do I mean by confidence? What I mean by confidence is I mean confidence in God's Word. If we're going to memorize it, if we're going to write it down somewhere, if we're going to use it in our lives, don't we have to have confidence in it? Just this morning, I talked to a guy, some of you know Denny, and Denny said he, he's been working with his nephew, and he said, Evan, I said, I need help, man. My nephew is a brainiac, and he doesn't believe in the Bible in any way, shape, or form. Now, if you're believing in the Bible, and you're going to trust the Bible, I like people at Lifehouse Church and people at Lifeline Church to be intelligent Christians. I want to give you, in just a second, at least three th reasons that you can trust the Bible. But take a look at the Scripture reference, because confidence is closely related to faith. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away. Now what he means by heaven is the skies. The skies and the earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now if that wasn't enough, he said it in Matthew, he said it in Mark, he said it in Luke. And in this reference here, Jesus is talking in Matthew 24 and 25 about end times. What's not going to be here anymore? Go ahead and read the context of it. And when he's talking about everything else is going to be gone, he said, but my word is eternal. And that is the key, and that is the reason why. People of faith, oftentimes, we have doubt. There's no doubt about it. It's, it's not a bad thing, but it has to be handled properly. We're people of faith. Sometimes we ask ourselves, what can I trust? Who can I turn to? 
You know, there's nothing on earth, according to the words of Jesus, that is as stable and unchanging as God's voice. Inside your Bible, open it up and write God's voice. It's His voice to you and to me. Now, let me give you three proofs real quickly. Archaeology. I love archaeology, but they have said that archaeology is the second Bible that God has given us. The first one we have in our hands, it's written word. The other one is in the ground. Just this week, my daughter sent me something. Could you pop that uh, graphic up there for me? Here's a site that uh, they just uncovered. It's uh, called, uh, if I hope I pronounce it right, Ziklag. And you find it with David, and you find it when, when David is fleeing from Saul, he goes to this town, and this town is occupied by the Philistines. Now, according to everything in, I think it's uh, Chronicles and First and Second Samuel, though, if you take a look at that, you look that word up, Ziklag, it, it says that there were basically, if you're going to uncover it, there should be two nations. There should be the Philistine nation and there should be the Jewish nation. Well, according to the reading that I did, there was 12 possible locations and every one of them had been nixed by the three major authorities that say, yes, this is true and this is not. But when it comes to this one, they uncovered a Philistine city and they uncovered an Israeli all in the same area. There was all kinds of pictures online. Go ahead and take a look at it. A couple years ago, they found a city that had never been discovered and that was mentioned in the book of Mark. A long time ago, a long, long time, the secular historians said there's no such a place as the Hittites. They didn't exist. The Bible says that they're in there, but they're not there. Oh, yeah. They uncovered them in Turkey, all the Hittites, the entire little town and city there. They even uncovered their laws. All of their laws found on stones and you know, their constitution, whatever you might call it. Archaeology is one. You know, if you're going to trust the Bible, you've you got to know, you know it's true and it's accurate. How about the historical accuracy? How about the places it mentions? How about the times that it mentions? Go through it. The Bible continues to be proved accurate. History just has to catch up with it. And then the third thing that I would say to you is, is uh, something that I learned uh, several years back because there was a time I did not trust the Bible myself. It was put together over 1,500 years. I'm sorry, yeah, over 1,500. 40 different authors, from a Dr. Luke to uh, Paul the, the uh, Pharisee to Amos, a uh, shepherd, a uh, herdsman, talks about very, very difficult and controversial topics, all with wonderful unity. All different backgrounds. And if that's not enough, you can go do something, you can sound really smart. You say, you know, the bibliographical proof of the Bible is better than any other book in antiquity. That took me years to learn how to say that. All that is, is the proof that they use to prove that Plato is accurate, it's what they use to prove Homer's work is accurate, and not Homer Simpson. You know, the Iliad I'm talking about. You can look up and you can find several different things. I've given you four. Sometimes we need to know that we can have confidence, faith in the Word of God. Go back to it certain times and for when we possibly share it with somebody else. Every created entity on our planet and our skies will pass away, but the words of the Creator are eternal. The eternity past and eternity future. So I would want to say to you, reignite God's voice in your brain, in your mind, by doing one of three things. 
Try to memorize it. Where do you need help at? Memorize it. Put it in your mind. If, that's, if you can't do that, write it down and put it somewhere. Put it in your car. I know somebody who put 1 Peter 5, 7 on their mirror. Every morning when they woke up, they saw that cast all of your anxieties on the Lord for He cares for you. Every morning they saw that. Help them struggle through uh, with worry. And then the last thing I would say is, is one of the things that the, the ladies' journal does that Bonnie has put together is, is it's a, a monthly devotional. Every lady here is welcome to take one. You not just see it, but the purpose of that was to write it out. If you rewrite the Scriptures out, it will stick a lot better and a lot more than just reading it. So those are just a couple different thoughts and ideas. God's power is in my brain, but I have to have confidence in His Word. Number two, trials. I'm talking about this in Bible study, trials. Most of the trials that Christians go through in America are not necessarily because they're Christians. There's three kinds of trials that I'd like to talk to you about today. I'll just mention them. Number one is a trial because you live in a fallen world. Somebody gets in an accident, somebody gets sick, something bad, something, you didn't do anything, it just happens. You and I live in a fallen world. Those things happen to Christians and non-Christians. The other thing that happens is, is when you've done something wrong. You've broken the law or you've done something and you're going through a trial because of it. And then lastly, a trial that you go through because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, you're the one in the office that won't tell a lie just to get ahead. And your boss says, you better learn how to fudge it a little bit or you're not going to get a promotion. Whatever it might be for you. Trials, they come our way. James, the first chapter, verses 2, 3, and 4. I'll just take a look at 2 and 3. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, right? Is that the first thing you think about? Woohoo! I'm going through a trial. Yippity doo da. I'm suffering. And maybe because you're a Christian, maybe you just live in a fallen world. He says, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance one of the things about trials whether they come from the world because we live in a fallen world or they come because you're Christian Jesus Christ can use both of them if you're not a Christian not using they're just there he can use both of them to help you see and to know and understand how wonderful it is that you go through something and with God's help and his strength and his promise in your life you can get through it my sister joy she gets cancer, young, three children. She leaves, she dies, it leaves them. Count it all joy, but I'm praying for my sister. Just become a Christian. Find out that her nurse that was taking care of her at home, her hospice nurse, was George Ann Stopp. Some of you know her. She shared the gospel with my sister. My sister came to know Christ. You know, who knows what would have happened any other way? Trials, they, God can use them. If we don't have memorized what God teaches us about trials and testings, it can defeat us and it can cause some Christians to fall away. It, it does, and, and you probably know that. Maybe one of the biggest stumbling blocks for us as Christians is when something unfair happens to me. I've done nothing wrong, it's unfair. You say, God, why would you let this happen? Why? Why would this let this happen? Why? Well, it's unfair, it's unfair to me. And then I would just ask you to think about it. Jesus went to the cross. How unfair was it for him? And that's, that's the guy we follow. 
So when you're in a trial, ask yourself the question, number one, is it because I live in a fallen world? Or number two, is it because I'm a Christian? God can help you with either one. Testings and trials come. I would never send my children, probably much to their despise, to a high school or a college that didn't test them. Gave them tests. Got to take a test. Got to write a paper. Got to say, you know, we're our dumbing down uh, education in America so bad, we don't even want to give grades. Grades are good. You need an F in your life to hopefully uh, get you going. A's and B's, we're kind of at that place, well, we're not really going to give grades out, but tests let you know what you know and what you don't know. Can you imagine Christianity without tests and trials? Seriously. People come and they want to be a part of the Christian faith because they don't have any trials. They don't have any suffering. Now us Christians have nothing. So why do people come to Jesus then? For the wrong reason. The reason we come to Jesus is because of our sin. The reason we need a Savior is because of our sin. We don't want people coming to Jesus for the wrong reason. No, that's prosperity theology, everybody. Folks, there is a God who loves us. Imagine Christianity without that. It, it helps you know. It helps reduce perseverance. Put several verses in your memory bank. I gave you one. Because if you live on planet Earth for very long, you're going to need to make a withdrawal. Number three in your notes, guidance. Anybody here need guidance? You're making a decision today, in the past, whatever it might be, guidance. You need guidance. I uh, went with my family uh, uh, to uh, the Grand Canyon, uh, Zion National Park, uh, Bryce Canyon, Antelope Canyon, Cantaloupe Canyon. They took me all kinds of places. But my daughter Daniela and my daughter Elizabeth did all of the research ahead of time. They knew where we were going. I just had to get my ticket and go. Shoot, Ricky even drove. I didn't have to do nothing. Just show up. Then they marched me up and down this big crack place, hurt my back, and I got back. So I had personal guide. And so do you. You and I have a personal guide. Let me tell you how it is that I got here today. You know, early in my Christian walk, when I gave my life to Christ, very early on I felt a call into full-time ministry. I didn't know if it was real, if I should do I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. And so I talked to people, and I got around different people, and uh, I gave my life to Christ. And they, they had something every year in the Friends Denomination called the yearly meeting. They'd have speakers and teachings and things like that. We came to call it the yearly beating, where I went to, you know. That was going to be supposed to be funny, I thought so. So we went to yearly meeting. And that evening, after work, I went there because they were going to have preaching. Uh, Charles Duvall, missionary to uh, China, was speaking. He spoke from his wheelchair. Powerful, powerful. The only problem is, is I didn't know how to dress. I probably still don't. When I walked in, everybody's in suits and ties and looking good, and I had a T-shirt on and shorts. I was quickly told by people from my church, don't tell anybody you're with us. Lord is my witness. Half joking, I'm sure. Charles Duvall gets done uh, sharing his message. Powerful. They start to play the song. You know, you are the, you're, you're the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me. This is what I pray. And the Spirit of God is on me telling me to go to the altar. And I said, I am not going to the altar in shorts. 
I kid you not. It's funny now. It wasn't funny at the time. I swear, I'm staying right here. And as best I can say to you, what I heard the Spirit of God say is, Evan, if you don't go to the altar now, I will withdraw my call off of your life. So I went. When I got done, Dr. Bob Hess, some of you know who that might be, was praying with me. And I said, I just don't know where to go from here. I got a job. I got a house. I got, I got my, my wife and three kids. I think I had two kids at that time. And, and he opened to Psalm 32. You got it there in your notes, everybody. Psalm 32, verse 8, verse 9, and verse 10. Evan, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Verse 9, Evan, don't be like a horse or a mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Verse 10, many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts him. T-R-U-S-T, trusts him. And I got up from there, and I kept that verse, and that verse guided me and directed me to where I went to Bible college. It guided and directed me to plant a church called Cornerstone. It guided and directed me here and to plant a church called Lifeline. God's Word. People came up to me in college. They said, you know, how are you going to know where to go, what are you going to do? I said, honestly, I don't know. But I had grown to so trust God and say he will guide and direct me. I'm trusting this verse now. It's made many decisions for me in my life. Now, here's one thing I know. Psalm 32 was in the Bible before I ever knew it was there. Psalm 32 was there. It lay dead and dormant on the pages of my Bible until I trusted it. Until I trusted God's will. This is why I think it's so important to memorize, to have it in there, to know. This is why I say, well, I don't know, but God will guide me. He promises. What are you hanging on? He wants you and me to hang on. See, you need guidance from Jesus Christ, and I am living proof that you can get it. Living proof. What do you have? Maybe you have something different. I hope you do. When you need guidance and direction, where do you go? Number four, witness. If you are a Christian, you are to be a witness Right, very early on, we're to be a witness. Everywhere we go, everything we do, we're to be a witness in many different ways. We're more than fans. Fans show up. They show up to the stadium. They clap. They cheer. They jump up and down. We show up to church. We stand up. We cheer. We clap our hands. We jump up and down. We make some noise. We're to be more than that. Now, that's a wonderful thing, and we do need to do it. I'm, pl- I'm not trying to make light of that, but we are to be witnesses. Now, I can give you two passages of Scripture that will answer 90% of the questions that people have out there. 90%. I learned this through Evangelism Explosion, a program that I was asked to be in and I was a part of, but several different things. Uh, Here's the first one. There are many different ways to get to heaven, some will say. And somebody, I was talking to somebody one time, and there was a tree standing there, and, and, and the person said to me, I don't care what it is anybody believes, as long, I don't care if you believe in that tree, as long as you believe, you're going to heaven. That's what some people think. And I would say to you that um, John 14, 6 is good, but you, I think 5 is good. If you're having a conversation with somebody, maybe they know about the guy named Thomas. 
Thomas, you know, he was that doubting kind of guy. Well, just so you know, my friend, Jesus is in this conversation telling them, I'm going to heaven, I want you to know, be able to go. And Thomas says, we don't know which way. We don't know where you're going. To which Jesus replied, I am the way, Thomas. I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, period. And you don't have to beat somebody up, but you can basically, in being a witness, say, you know, now if it was up to me, I would probably provide a couple other different ways, but it's not, and I don't think Jesus is lying. And you can just let it go. You let the Holy Spirit do uh, the work. Let him take the word of God. The second one I would say to you is what I lived by, good works. My belief, and many people think, if I'm going to heaven, it's because I'm a good enough person. And people say, well, I'm, I'm not the best person, but I sure am better than, they'll say Hitler. Well, that doesn't take much, you know. I, I believe that if I got to heaven, my good works outweighed my bad works on the scale, I was in. And then somebody said, the Bible says in regards to your salvation, all your good works are like filthy rags. Now, I didn't really hear that because I didn't want to hear that at first. I really didn't, all my good works, and then I read, and I read, and then I learned Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 is also good. You know, you got to have this, a couple of these memorized, because people are going to come to you, and you're going to say, you know, it's by grace that we're saved through faith. Not of yourself, it's a gift of God. Not by works, so that Evan can't boast. You don't want to leave this earth, you'll tell your friend, trusting your good works. Yikes. You don't want to leave trust in that. So we are to be a witness. I, I don't just get the opportunity to witness. Sometimes people say, I, I, I don't ever get an opportunity to witness. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you prepared? Do you have God's word somewhere? I have a friend, Ron. <laughs> he's got the gospel on his cell phone. And if he can't remember because he's too old, he pulls it out and he points to people. He's right here. You've got a smartphone. Yeah, there's all kinds of different ways. Why would God ever use me if I'm not ready? Why would God use me? Why would he open the door for me to witness to somebody if I don't have his word to share with somebody? So here's what I say to you. I challenge you. You get those two verses. You hold them close. You look at them and, say, and you pray every day this week. You give me somebody to witness to. And you might just get crazy and win them to Jesus Christ. See how that changes your life. Church, we're to be a witness. And many of us don't get the opportunity. We're not looking for it, not praying for it. We're not prepared. Get prepared. And you watch and see what Jesus does. Number five is strength. Strength. Lord, give me strength. What do you need strength for? Somebody this past week talking about getting strength. They need strength. You know, I don't believe it's just enough to say, God will give me strength to get through this. I think that there are many, many verses, I'll give you one or two today, that are in there so that you can claim them and so that you can do what it says strength Nehemiah the 8th chapter verse 10 here's the situation Nehemiah had built, rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem the people the Jews were coming back in the Israelites were coming back in the scribes were walking through the crowd and they were reading the Old Testament because they hadn't heard the Old Testament they were realizing everything that they had done wrong and they were crying and they were wailing and they were weeping they were sad. And don't get me wrong, I know that there's a time to grieve, and I know there's a time to be sad. I understand that. But he says to them in verse 10, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. 
and send some to those who have nothing prepared. In other words, have something to eat, get, brighten it up a little bit, cheer up a little bit, have a little bit of party, and I love this, think of somebody else. When you're down, when you're sad, think of somebody else. I think of Bill and Debbie Kander, who lost a son to heroin, and when we had another funeral for another son they had lost, they were there serving. And Mrs. Kanda and the mother held each other, talked to each other, cried together. He goes on to say, This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve, and you may know this, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Even when there's a time to be upset, even when there's a time when we're saying, when we need strength, the Bible says, Be careful. Be careful that you still incorporate a time of praise, a time of lifting up. The Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. And sometimes when we're an Eeyore for too long or a Debbie Downer for too long or we're having a pity party for too long, we're just going down, down, down. I can remember an elderly gentleman, he's older than me, maybe twice my age, he had lost his wife. She had a long battle, she lost his, he lost his wife. And at the altar, I prayed with him when we were done talking. He said, the reason I'm up here, and he was crying. He says, because the Bible says give thanks in all circumstances and to be joyful and I am and he's one of the strongest Christian men I knew we have to discipline ourselves to make sure at certain times the joy of the Lord the joy is gone the strength of the Lord is gone if I tend to be a Debbie Downer sometimes it zaps the strength right out of my life you don't have 1 Peter in there but let me give this to you 1 Peter 4.11 it says, if anyone serves, they should serve with their own strength. Why would you ever want God's strength? Now, that, that's not what it says. You know that. If anyone serves, if, if you serve in any way today, if you serve the Lord any day throughout the week, they should serve with the strength God provides so that he can be glorified. Whatever it is that you do, Wherever it is you work, whatever it is you do for the church or wherever it is you have, every day say, Lord, in and of your strength. You may have it memorized. You may not know what to do, and you may have the strength to do it. But why do it in your own strength? The older I get, the more I realize maybe I did a few too many things in my own strength. Ask the Lord no matter what it is you do. You're running sound? Say, Lord, give me your strength because, Lord, you know you need it with all these crazy musicians up here. Yes, <laughs> in your notes I have the phrase don't grow up and the reason that I say that there don't grow up is because uh, if, I, if memorizing God's word is for kids then please don't grow up I don't, I don't want to grow up you know adults are some of the weirdest people on the planet I talked to VBS kids this past week and on Tuesday I got a chance to talk to them and I was talking about memorizing and they did their Bible buddies. And the one little girl interrupted me, shot her hand up and she says, uh, I got a Bible verse memorized. I said, let's hear it. She quoted it and she gave the reference to it. Now who do you think put that in there? It wasn't one of the ones from the, from the VBS. That was a mom and a dad. That had to be a mom and a dad. Maybe a grandma or a grandpa helping them put the word of God in their mind when it's little, when, they, when it can get inside of there. That's why the asterisk in your note says memorizing Bible verses is for kids. And there's not a person here who's not God's kid or child if you know Jesus Christ. You're just a kid. Please don't grow up. 
I'm almost done. If your Christianity isn't working for you, if everybody talks about that relationship with Jesus Christ and it just seems so far away, maybe it's because you don't have God's voice in here. Maybe you're going through life time after time, situation after situation, and you're just doing it of yourself and you don't have something. On the back of your notes, I put six places there. I gave you the top two. Temptation, passage of Scripture to memorize. Sanctification, I gave you a passage of Scripture to memorize. Four other blanks for you to say, what are you going through, and to search out and to find a passage of Scripture for it. I close with this story. Tuesday, like I said, I came and... uh, uh, there were 44, 45 kids. They had a lot of kids, you know. Jane was there, and so many of you helpers were there, Ma- uh, Marcia and uh, Megan Belisi there. And uh, the Bible verse on Monday, the Bible verse on Monday was um, Nahum 1-7, the Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. The Bible point was, when life is unfair, God is good. Kids need to know that because adults don't know that. And the Bible story was the Israelites were slaves for the Egyptians. And the Exodus, how they got out. Now, in case you don't know, over at the Life Center on Monday, Marcia told me this last week it was the worst start to a VBS she's ever had in her life. That was encouraging. <laughs> we got air conditioning set up and got it in there for them. Every time they tried to plug something in, it popped another fuse. Air conditioning gone. All kinds of trouble. They called me midway through. Ernie calls me. Evan, we got no water. I said, well, turn the tap. No water. Eleven years. We've never had a problem. The well dries up for VBS. Now you got kids that can't wash their hands and can't go potty. So they got through what they got through. And on Tuesday, Megan Belisi, God bless her, she was right here and she was telling them these verses. She says, you know, we're like the Israelites. We had problems. We didn't have no water. We didn't have no power. We didn't have air conditioning. And we had to exodus and march all the way over here. <laughs> and now look at the promised land. We got so much air conditioning in here, we can make it snow. They got in here. They had the big screen. They had all that going on. All kinds of water as much as you needed. God is good. Even when things are bad. He can take it and change it and turn it around. Don't ever grow up. You don't ever want to grow up. Stay a kid. Helping VBS. Learn the lesson. And make sure you have your Bible buddies. Lord Jesus, as we close here today, we give you honor and glory and thanks for all that you've done in our hearts and our lives. For the word of God that we can trust, that we have our confidence in. For the word of God that we can put in our hearts and minds, even so much so that if it's down in our heart, it can keep us from sinning. It can help us when we need guidance. You can be our guide. It can help us when we need strength. But we need to make sure we understand what the scriptures say and what you say. I know that you love for us to quote your word back to you. As we pray it, as we know it, as we put it somewhere, may it change our lives, may it draw us closer to you. And Lord, before we enjoy this wonderful picnic, we know that it comes from you. There were hands over there that were helping and preparing it and people, but Lord, we give you thanks for the fellowship and the food we will enjoy in Jesus' name. Amen. Roger's going to give you a couple quick announcements because we're all hungry.